This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. This morning's scripture reading is from Luke 7, verses 18 through 35. Be encouraged by the reading of God's word. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. We have a lot of work to do today. (laughs) Good morning, Axis Church. My name is... Brooks, I'm a, I serve as the director of discipleship, and man, it is such, it's such a high honor to be the one who brings you the word of God this week. I just, I just feel that so heavily. It, this is an honor for me. I hope you know that. Um, Pastor Jeremy is on a mini sabbatical, um, so pray for him. Pray that he gets a deep soul breath. Today, we are continuing on in the gospel of Luke, one that we've entitled the real Jesus. That's the name of this sermon series. Because since Jesus has eternal life in him, it's found in him and it comes through him. There is nothing more important than actually knowing who he is and placing our faith in the real Jesus, the one who can actually save us. So It's important, and at the axis, you will see that we keep in lockstep with Scripture. We're not interested in in my opinions. We're, We're very interested in what God's Word says. Because the reality is, Jesus often surprises us. He often doesn't, doesn't fit the mold in our minds for who the Messiah should be, how he should act, 
who he should be merciful to. And we even see in vivid color in our text today, Jesus is going to surprise both believers and unbelievers in this lengthy text. He's going to break the mold of the Messiah that they held in their minds yet again. And we do have a lot of work to do. So let me pray once again before we dive into the text. Father in heaven, thank you that you have not remained silent, but you are a God who who speaks. You created through speaking, and then you recreated salvation in our souls through speaking. Father, my, my prayer now, as it has been this week, is may we not reject the purposes of God for us, but may, wait, may we embrace your purposes for us. Namely, may we embrace Christ. I pray that if there is any here today, Lord, who has not yet embraced Christ, that they would today. I pray for those who, because of circumstance, their faith feels fragile, like John's did. I pray that they would hear the voice of Jesus speaking mine over them afresh. And they would know that they don't keep their salvation because they remain strong. They keep their salvation because Jesus cannot fail. So so do this, please, Lord, through me today. In Christ's name. All right, grab your Bible and turn to Luke 7. We'll be going through verses 18 through 35. If you don't have a Bible, there are some around um, in the seats in front of you on the ground. Um, You can take that if you don't have one. That is our gift to you. So as you're turning there, let's zoom out and get a little bit of context on where we've been the past couple of weeks. So two weeks ago, you'll remember that Jesus healed the servant of a Roman military official who was at the point of death. This was radical (laughs) because Rome was the oppressors of the Jews. And now the Messiah, the one who was to redeem Israel, is healing Roman official servants. This makes no sense at all. This would have been almost treasonous for a rabbi to do. This is perplexing. And then last week we watched as Jesus compassionately and dramatically stopped a funeral procession in its tracks and brought back to life the only son of a widow. Jesus showed us not only that he is deeply moved by our suffering, he is deeply moved by our grief, but he actually has the power to give death a funeral. The real Jesus has real redemptive energy teeming within him. This is who Jesus is. He's not just some nice guy who had some good thoughts. He has redemptive energy teeming and he can save you and he can heal you. And this is gospel. This is good news. And we saw that last week. We've seen that in all of Luke. And it's on the heels of these miracles that our text begins today in verse 18. And it says this, the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, reported all of those things, all of those miraculous healings to John, to him. Now we haven't heard from John the Baptist for four chapters. So if you haven't been with us, let me catch you up on the speed to who John is. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, but far more important than that. He was the prophet sent by God to break the divine silence that had hovered for 400 years between the Old Testament 
and the New Testament. John would break that silence and he would prepare the way now for the Messiah to come, the final amen of God, the one who would redeem Israel. And several months ago, Luke, in Luke 3, we saw John doing just that. He was boldly proclaiming Jesus. He was going off. He said, I'll baptize you with water. He'll baptize you with fire. He said, if you are the chaff in the wheat, he will burn you with fire. John preached fire a lot. He really was excited about Jesus. And then something happened that probably was a little perplexing to John. We saw it in Luke 3, 18 through 20. So the culmination of his life's purpose was being realized. With many exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Petrarch, a, a uh, leader of the Jews who had been reproved by John for an inappropriate relationship with Herodias, his brother's wife, all the evil things that John kept saying about him, he added that one to them all and he locked up John in prison. And this is where he's been the entire time since Luke 3. Jesus' ministry is taking off and John is sitting in a prison cell not a part of it at all now. How anxious and frustrated must John have been? His entire life was in preparation to usher in the Messiah and he appears. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then jail for John. Ever been disillusioned in your faith? You're not alone. This prophet was perplexed, and now he gets word from his disciples about all the things that Jesus has been doing. And this must have been the moment he's waiting for, right? What's going on? Is, is Rome overthrown yet? This is, this is what we're doing, right, Jesus? So the disciples come, eager to hear what Jesus is doing. Verses 18 through 20. How is he going to respond to this news? And John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you really the one who is to come? Or should I have been looking for another? And when the men had come to Jesus, Luke repeats this question twice. That's not by accident. They said, John the Baptist sent us to you saying, are you really the one who is to come? Or shall we be looking for another? This is shocking coming from John. John, who had preached Jesus with such fire and such confidence. The gospel of John says this, John the Baptist bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him, and I myself did not know, but he, the Father who sent me to baptize with water, told me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remained, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. He was so sure. But now here he sits in a cold prison cell, and his disciples finally come to him with news. And the news is not what John wanted to hear. He learns that not only has Roman rule not been threatened, but Jesus is actually healing the military's 
servants. What? This makes no sense at all. This Jesus, the real Jesus, didn't even fit into John's Messiah mold. And his confidence started to crumble. And so he tells his disciples, you need to go ask Jesus if I just totally missed it. That's wild. This is a shocking question for John to ask, but not just because of the question itself, but because of how it was asked. It was asked in front of a mixed crowd. So this actually has the thrust, more of just an honest question, but this is a challenge in front of the people who are following Jesus. Even prophets get perplexed. And though we often think of John as a great prophet, and, and he was, as Jesus will later say, he was still flawed and fragile. He was human. He's not the hero. Jesus is. And before we move on to Jesus' response, I want to give us two cautions for us from John's challenge to Jesus. What are, what are two takeaways for us on the fact that even this perplexed prophet challenged Jesus? Number one, we must place our faith wholly in Christ and not on our circumstances. See, there was certainly several reasons that John doubted, but one of them had to be the cell that he was confined in. He went from the mountaintop joy of baptizing Jesus, the Messiah, and then was plunged immediately into the dungeon, to the valley, and, and doubts fester, doubts thrive in the valley. Have you been in a valley? Have you ever been there? Are you there this morning? Have you ever felt a total confidence in Christ? You, you felt it. It seemed undeniable. And then the valley comes. Were you wrong about this whole Jesus thing? Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Or maybe it's just a prolonged season of unexplainable depression. And all that felt reality of Christ seems to vanish. Well, for John, it was a prison cell and a Messiah who was choosing compassion for outsiders and enemies over their conquest. This made his faith vulnerable. And see, if our faith in Christ comes with an unspoken condition, all right, Jesus, I'm all in as long as you keep this status quo, that will be the weak link in our faith chain. Because the truth is, friends, we were never promised anything circumstantially. We were never promised things would be easy. We were actually promised quite the opposite. This world is broken. We will suffer. Through many tribulations will you enter the kingdom, Jesus said. That means it's placed in any circumstance that will be the weak link because that probably will be challenged at some point. Listen to the words from the Apostle Paul to the Philippians. We can learn so much here. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. We can, man, we can linger there for a while. 
and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Indeed, I can do all of those things, namely remaining content through him who strengthens me. Interestingly, Paul is actually writing from prison here as well. But his imprisonment didn't cause him to question Christ. It actually provided an opportunity to prove that Christ's peace is greater than any circumstance. You may have heard of Corey Ten Boom. She was in a Nazi concentration camp for a long time and lost much family there. And she once said, you can never know Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Maybe you're in the midst of a valley right now and you have no clue what God is doing. And maybe you feel, hear those cracks coming into the bedrock of your faith. I want to plead with you to share it with someone you trust in our community. Suffering is going to come, friends, but we were never meant to suffer in silence. Maybe share it with somebody in your AC. You can fill out a connect card in the back and say, meet with a pastor. One of the key ways that Christ pours out peace in any circumstance is through his body. We need each other. So please, please hear me. We don't want you to be suffering in silence. You weren't meant to. I love the language that Pastor Jeremy uses. We need to team lift these things. Help us. Let us help you. So the first caution we get from John's challenge we must place our faith wholly in Christ and not in circumstance. The second one is, we must have a thoroughly scriptural vision of Christ's mission. See, John's doubting of Christ is especially surprising because he was a prophet, which meant he spoke for God on certain occasions. Presumably, he knew the scriptures very well, yet his vision of the Messiah's mission was, was skewed. It was far too small, but it was there in scripture. The scriptures did speak of the compassion of the Christ for all peoples. But for some reason, John was more focused on the fire that he would bring. And as we continue on in the following verses, Christ will actually point us back to the scriptures to answer John's disciples' question. Verses 21 through 23. So in that hour, Jesus continued healing many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits on many who were blind. He bestowed sight. So Luke is continuing to show this, this healing ministry is happening in real time. While this question is launched at him. And then he turns to John's disciples. And he, Jesus, answered them. Look, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. And now he alludes to the prophet Isaiah concerning the Messiah's ministry. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. But so much more than that, the poor, physically and spiritually, the poor, all of us have gospel preached to them. That's what they need. They need good news, not just ethnic Israel. All peoples now need good news. That's what I'm accomplishing. How radical, 
How beautiful, how wonderful this must have sounded to all the outcasts listening in. The Messiah had come for them. He inclined towards them in their weakness. He didn't lord his power over them. He inclined towards them in their weakness. Even the natural enemies of the Jews, he attended to not just their physical needs, but he meant to speak into the deep spiritual need that we need, that we all need, that we all have. And then he looks at John's disciples, and I don't know how he said this. Maybe it was with a twinkle in his eye. I like to think that. He says, and one more thing, make sure John gets this too, because this isn't in Isaiah. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That was original. Jesus loved John deeply. In a moment, we'll see that he actually has the highest possible praise for John. But here he speaks directly to his doubting heart, saying, be careful, John. Don't be offended by me because I don't look like you expected. Be careful, John. Your finite mind cannot possibly grasp the scope of the redemptive work I have planned. The world rejoices, John, that I'm not the Messiah, you thought, because my plans of redemption are so much more expansive than your small Jewish mind could ever grasp. And though this word was for John and his disciples, it's incredibly applicable for our time because we live in the age where offending someone is the cardinal sin. And we've never had thinner skin, which makes it hard to have significant and meaningful conversations about the most important issue, namely salvation. And it has muzzled the mouth of many Christians, which is tragic. You do realize that our cultural thin-skinnedness is the work of Satan? We don't talk about religion ever. God forbid we step on anybody's toes. Now, of course, of course, we should never be offensive as Christians in our manner or speech. Christians should be the humblest and the kindest people. And woe to us if we're not. But the reality is the gospel is offensive to us as proud humans because at its core, at its core, it is a declaration that all mankind is so broken and so spiritually dead that it took God himself coming to us and dying on a cross because that's what our sin deserved. That's offensive to my pride. Now, maybe you've been burned or offended by the church, and so you've been turned off to Christianity because of that. And first, I want to say I am so thankful that you're here with us this morning but I also do want to plead something from you. Please do not throw out Jesus because he has offended you. Do not let an offense at a form of religion allow you to be offended by the only one who could save you. Jesus came to love and to serve you. He came to reconcile you back to the Father. Do not let your offense at people make you be offended at Jesus, please. I hope that makes sense. 
If we refuse him, if in our pride we remain offended at him, we will not be blessed. We will remain broken because there is salvation in no other name. And being offended at Jesus, refusing Jesus, is like refusing a doctor who has a cure for you because you didn't like being told your true condition. But that offense doesn't change the condition. Being offended doesn't change the reality. It just keeps us from the cure. But you will be blessed if you aren't offended by him. And if you humbly acknowledge the diagnosis that you already know is true, you're not perfect. You're not right with God. You carry sin and shame. Jesus wants to take that from you. Look into the compassionate eyes of Christ and listen to the compassionate cry of Christ when he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't be offended at that. Receive that this morning. Now comes a shift in our text where Jesus turns his attention from John's disciples. He just answered their challenge and now he, he addresses the watching crowd. Verses 24 through 28. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So is Jesus going to use this as a PR damage control moment? <laughs> Like, that was awkward, that my hype man just doubted me. Is he going to throw John under the bus? No, no. In fact, quite the opposite. Why? Because Jesus wasn't insecure about his identity. He knew exactly who he was. Speaking to the crowds, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Someone weak and spineless? John was not weak and spineless. Well, then what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing, someone who was more concerned with their comfort over their calling. John was not more concerned with comfort over his calling. He was a faithful prophet. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. Well, then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he whom it is written. And here Jesus alludes to Malachi 3.1, which is another prophecy on coming. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Don't you dare doubt John's ministry. He will prepare your way before you. And I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John. That is an amazing response. He doesn't default to character assassination. He's into identity affirmation. Jesus is not petty. See, even though John questioned Jesus' uh, identity and missed his doubts, Jesus reaffirms John's identity. Jesus didn't forsake John because he doubted. He remained faithful to John. Why? This is amazing news, friends. It's because our right standing with Jesus is not contingent on perfect performance. It is not we are saved, and then if we try really hard and never doubt, we finally make it. No, that is not how it works. It is totally, even our perseverance 
as a saint is totally based on Christ's performance. And nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, not even doubts. We know this because we know for certain that John was saved. Luke told us back in chapter one, an angel is speaking to John's daddy. And he says this, John will be great before the Lord and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So John may be the only person who was regenerated in the womb. John's, if anybody's in, John's in. John was saved, no doubt about it. And though his faith seemed fragile here, his salvation was rock solid. Once we have trusted in Christ, our identity as a child of God is forged in steel. What a grace of Christ. What a comfort to know that we don't remain children because we are good little children. We remain in the vine because all that the Father has given me, I won't lose a single one. They are mine. He gave them to me. I love this. I love that John doubts and Jesus responds with total affirmation of John. You might say, yeah, but John was faithless here. Well, listen to what Paul writes in 2 Timothy. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. This was a creed <laughs> that Christians had made. We know that because in the epistle, it's in a little creed format. Go look it up. It's cool how it distinguishes itself. Apparently, they must have had to say this to themselves a lot. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. You don't remain a Christian because your faith never falters. You remain a Christian because Christ's world cannot fail. Christ's word cannot fail. And if you've placed your faith in him, he declares you're mine. Christ's commitment to you is even greater than your commitment to him. Oh, be encouraged. Oh, if you feel weak in faith right now, be encouraged. Near the end of Luke, we see this again in how Jesus deals with Simon Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. And Satan would hold sway with Peter for a moment when he betrayed Jesus. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. If you feel weak today, know that Christ is praying for you. Think about that. He's not annoyed with you. He's not rolling his eyes at you. He is cheering you on. He is for you, assuming that you have genuinely had, it, had a moment in your life where you have trusted in his finished work on the cross. All right, back to the text now. See, because before, you may have noticed if you're reading along in your Bible, I only read the first half of verse 28 but let's look at the full verse together now. I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John. Yet, and this is incredible, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Christian, Jesus just spoke something over you that is mind-boggling. See, 
there's a reason that John didn't fully comprehend what the Messiah was doing. Because though John appears in the New Testament, he's actually the final Old Testament prophet. He was still operating, in a sense, out of an old covenant shrouded understanding of the final purposes of God and redemption. And this is perhaps why he didn't understand why Jesus was choosing compassion for all over conquest for their enemies. Because Jesus didn't come to redeem only ethnic Israel and to reject all others. Rather, Jesus came to call peoples to himself. He came to humble those who thought they had special standing with God because of how good they were. And he came to exalt those who were humble and were desperately in need of salvation. See, in Isaiah, we find this prophecy concerning John the Baptist. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. But look what comes right after that. Every valley shall be lifted up. Those who are low in repentance will be exalted. And every mountain and hill will be made low. Those who are proud will be humbled. The uneven ground shall become level. The gospel is the great leveler of humanity. The rough places will be a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Not just Israel, all peoples. See, no one can enter the kingdom of God based on who they are or what they do. We gain entrance into the kingdom of God only through the door that is Christ, only through his righteousness. That is why the least in the kingdom is greater than any other attempt to be made right with God through your good works or through your moralism or through noble birth or through church attendance or through the law. None of this can make us right with God. The only way to enter the kingdom is through the door. That is Jesus Christ. As the gospel of John says it, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And with John the Baptist, the sun set on the old covenant of the law, But when the son of God came, he ushered in a new covenant, a better covenant. And this son would set, this son would go down into a grave after he died on the cross for you and for me. But on the third day, this son would rise never to go down again. And now on this side of the cross, we are the privileged ones who have the knowledge of the glory of God made manifest in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, what an incredible grace to live on this side of the cross. Do you realize that? Scripture tells us that when the Old Testament prophets were prophesying, angels were watching with bated breath, wondering what in the heck this all meant. How is this going to play out? And in Colossians 1.26, it says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations is now revealed to his saints. That's us. The question is, are you in the kingdom of God? Have you gained access to the Father through his Son? How privileged we are to have the mystery of God's plan totally revealed. We have it in a book. We have apps, countless, 
Oh, let us not reject this gospel. Angels wanted to know what this looked like. How would this manifest? And we have it totally clear for us in scripture. To my friends who have yet to receive Christ, won't you humble yourself even now and believe in him? Believe in his atoning death for your sins and in his victorious resurrection that is your eternal life. And for my Christian friends, won't you cease striving to earn God's love and embrace the covenant of grace afresh and let it melt your anxieties and let it silence your fears and let it assuage your insecurities because Christ has made you righteous. Christ says you are his. Now our obedience is a glad response to our Lord. Not to make him Lord. I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What an amazing reality. What a kind father we have that opens his arms to all the outcasts. He says, if you have money, come buy. Christ has made a way, he's purchased it for you. So how is this mixed crowd going to respond? This is the final section, so be of good cheer. Verses 29 through 30 tells us, when all the people, so he's referring to the, the lay people and the average folks in the community, when they heard this, and the tax collectors to the most despised, the most hated. When they, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. And what was the baptism of John? Matthew 3, 2, John says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And these people had been convicted, just had acknowledged reality. They had humbled themselves under John's preaching and recognize their need of this baptism. And now Jesus is revealing the unimaginable reward for their humility. Namely, if you humble yourself before the Almighty, He will exalt you. He will adopt you. So yes, they declared God just. They loved this arrangement. This really, Jesus, this is what I get for acknowledging my condition as a sinner and saying, I need you. I get access to your kingdom forever. That's exactly right. They said, just love that for that. But what a tragic word here. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Why would they have been baptized by John? That wilderness dwelling, repentance demanding freak. They were the religious leaders and they were already in. Except no. All of their rule following and schooling and church going had made them blind by pride. So they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. I don't know if I can think of seven more terrible words than that. They rejected John when he was preparing the way for Jesus. 
And now as Jesus unfolds in deeper detail the purpose of his mission, how we gain entrance into the kingdom, namely to graft all peoples in through repentance, they dig their heels in and they harden their hearts more. They rejected the purpose of God for themselves. This is not a Messiah they were willing to follow and they despised the real Jesus because it was an affront to their pride. And Jesus goes on to expose the hypocrisy stirring in them. 31, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? I, I don't think he's finger pointing. I think he's weeping. Those who are rejecting God, what shall I compare you to? What do you like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, we played the flute for you, Jesus, but you wouldn't dance. And we sang a, a dirge, a, a funeral song, but you wouldn't weep. Jesus, you're supposed to conform to our tune. We will never conform and humble ourselves to you. For, Jesus continues, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. But the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And their foolish, petty pride, they were tying themselves in logical knots. But the issue wasn't a logical one, it was a heart one. Their hearts were casted over with pride and it made them blind. And so they found a thousand reasons to reject the only one who could save them. And then we make it to the end and Jesus ends with this proverb. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Namely, the wisdom of God is justified. It's vindicated. It's proven as wise and glorious by the scores of people from every tribe and tongue who will make it into the kingdom, not through their accomplishments, not through their brilliance, not through the color of their skin, but because they humbly agreed with God about their spiritual poverty and threw themselves on the mercy of God. So in conclusion, here we have two clear-cut groups. We have those who embrace the purposes of God for themselves. They embraced Christ. They said, God is just to save a sinner like me. And those who rejected the purpose of God for themselves, they rejected Christ. And barring a miracle of God in their hearts, they were left out of the kingdom forever. Now the question is, which side are you on? Have you embraced Christ or are you rejecting him? Those are the only two sides. And I would plead with you, humble yourselves and receive all that God has for you in Christ. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life. The only thing it will cost you is your pride. Please do not reject the purposes of God for you. It won't end well. And Christ stands here even now saying, come to me, come to me. Acknowledge reality that you need a savior. I have totally finished the work. If you will come to me and believe, do not reject the purpose of God for you. What is his purpose? That you believe in his son. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. In the fullness of time, when it had come, 
God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were being crushed by the law, to redeem those who knew they cannot live up to perfection, to redeem those so that they might receive adoption as sons. Well, now we're going to transition to communion where we have a physical manifestation of what Christ has done for us to make us great in the kingdom, to bring us into the kingdom. It came through his sacrifice, through his life, death, and resurrection. In the bread, we see his life, his body, his, his perfect performance, and we see it broken for us on the cross. And then in the juice or the wine, we see his blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. If you are a Christian, this is the Lord's table. You're welcome to it. Come and taste. Receive afresh the purposes of God for you. If you've felt weak in faith, be made strong through this meal. Even pray now, Holy Spirit, buoy me. But once again, to reach out to your brothers and sisters in the church, we want to come alongside you. We actually will have people in the back praying as well if you need prayer for anything. And my friends who have yet to believe, I plead with you. Right now, believe in Christ and have eternal life. Father in heaven, we thank you that you had a purpose for us, that you didn't leave us all alone when we were lost and rebellious, but you had light break in through Christ and you called us to yourself. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen your saints right now with this gospel message. All that Christ is for them, all the benefits they have now as heirs of Christ, heirs with Christ. And Father, for those who have yet to believe, I pray that you would save them even now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.